Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. This podcast is brought to you by Plan Academy. Plan Academy is the world's leading learning site for anyone working in construction, project management, or project controls. At Plan Academy, you learn construction, planning, and scheduling theory, how to master scheduling software like Primavera P6, and even advanced construction scheduling techniques. Plan Academy's courses are 100% online and at your own pace. You can learn at the office, at site, from home, anywhere. Check out planacademy.com today for free sample lessons and tons of free video. Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by justdo.com. Justdo is a great business and project management tool we've been using here at Project Chatter. I agree, Val. I like to keep things simple and Justdo is perfect for that. But I do know it's got a lot of powerful functionality as well. And one of my favorites is the task-specific chat. Absolutely. And for all you slackers, don't wait for Monday. Check out justdo.com. Now on with the pod. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Project Chatter. I'm Val Matthews, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dale Fung. Hello, folks. In this episode, we get to talk to Natalie or Nat Moyes from Dell Tech. Hi, Nat. Hello. We'll be focusing on PPM software, software as a service, project controls tools, and what we can expect in the future from systems and software. But before we do, here is Dale with Nat's bio. Brilliant. Thanks, Val. Uh, So I'll get straight into Nat's bio. It's amazing. 12 years at the same software company uh, is starting to become a rarity, but that is Nat's tenure at Deltec, supporting their PPM products and clients. Originally, Nat thought she was going to be a photographer. So after three universities, it was a bit strange to end up in in a sales company supporting lead generation, training and recruitment. Through various roles, uh, Nat uh, has ended up in account management uh, for an IT training company where she learned a lot about organizational change management and software adoption, which are some of the strengths that she brings to the table at Deltec. Uh, Nat's seen a lot of industry change uh, over the years, and she has had the privilege to support a number of established clients as well as grow some new ones. Nat's been involved in the APM SIG steering committees, user groups, and general advisory boards, all focused on people, process, and tools. And I know Nat loves all three, and they're all three equally important, and we'll get into that as well. Um, And uh, it's had its ups and downs uh, for Nat, um, but in those 12 years, she's built a lot of sound relationships, uh, seen good, bad, and very, very unique approaches to project controls. Uh, And she is sure that there is plenty more to come uh, so Nat, as Val said, welcome to the pod. It's fantastic to have you. I think we've been trying a, a little while to, to get you on, but we finally got you here. So uh, welcome. Hi, thank you so much. Well, you know, it's never too good to be too easily caught, is it? A lady does like a <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, we've heard a bit of an intro there um, in your bio as to, as to how you, you, you got into it. Um, but, you know, as, as your bio states, 12 years at the same company, Deltec. I mean, what's uh, been the secret to your longevity there? 
Um, I, you know, we've I've always had really good bosses, and I've gone from working in the UK, so having a, a dotted reporting line to the UK, and then a dotted reporting line to the US. Um, and I will say that Deltek is a really good company to work for if what you want to do is have a good work-life balance. So um, I've get to work from home I'm in control of my own destiny yes I need to kind of get on and do things and make numbers work and kind of talk to clients etc but um, having a good boss which I've had and luckily had in the past um, and have the freedom to really kind of make the role your own is that's the those are the type of things that kind of keep you and also my tools do what they need them to do because after 12 years I've seen clients leave and go somewhere else and then they'll come back to me and I don't disappear. So if I don't implement something well, I'm going to get beat up for a really long time. <laughs> so, um, so yes, yeah, so I seem to be doing something right. No, excellent. And um, I guess it's worth saying, and, and thanks for, for kind of sharing that, that insight. Um, you talk about tools and we'll get into Deltex tools in a little sec, but it's, I guess it's worth saying at the top of the pod that you're here um, of your own accord. You're not here to, you know, um, do a sales pitch on Deltex tools. We, we would definitely want to talk to you about them and, find out a bit more about them. Um, certainly some of the, perhaps the ones that aren't so mainstream and figure out what they can do. Um, but um, it's just worth saying, you know, you, you're not here um, um, sort of representing Deltic as such. You're here to, to provide your own opinions and views. So thank you for that. Um, as we go, if, you know, we're going to go into the tools. Let, let's go there first. Um, and I mean, some of the, the ones at the top of my head that sort of I, I've been in contact with is, you know, typically is Cobra. You know, you've got Cobra. Um, a lot of people have used Acumen Fuse. Um, there's Acumen mm-hmm. Risk as well. Um, one that's not so familiar to myself uh, is Costpoint. Um, but you have a few others as well. I wonder if you could kind of c- give us kind of the, the, the basis perhaps of, of um, the tool sets and um, kind of what, what you cover and, and, and sort of perhaps a bit of the thinking behind some of them. I mean, you, you know, sure. you're going to go into detail, but no, no, that's um, fine. So, um, so Deltek, um, which stands for Delasky technologies, not anything to do with Dell, which we go quite often. Um, they started off predominantly in accounting. Um, and it was to do with kind of the American audit accounting piece. And that was where they started probably 35 years ago. Um, and so everything has kind of built up around, project accounting project experience um so cost point which you mentioned um is the it's not american but it is designed for kind of american government contractors and i've actually sold cost point a couple of times in the uk um we've sold it i've sold it in the middle east so it used to be part of my remit to sell that tool so it's modular you know it's going to work like most erps do um but then it has some really good nuances that are specific so things like you know shop floor time and uh, being able to scan widgets and make sure that your tools are calibrated when you're building something you know some really unique and specific things that are project focused um and then from that kind of starting point Deltek started looking at the precursors and then everything else that's involved in that project side. So they've now kind of created, and everybody has a wheel, but a wheel just works for me. So we have teaming solutions, we have um, CRM solutions, we have, um, you know, what who's who's pitching for what works. So what am I going to start chasing? 
Um, we've got HR solutions that help you to recruit people with the correct skills to be able to fulfill parts within projects that you need. Um, we've got training and mentoring solutions that also fit into our ERP system. Um, the part of the business that I work in is the delivery. So that's project control. So technically, you've found your piece of business. You've figured out who you're going to deliver it with. You've won it. So you've set it up. You've now started bidding against it. But you need to plan it out. You need to capture your costs, your work breakdown structure and all of those good things. Um, you're then going to go through that delivery phase. So you're going to be managing that with your updates and your progress putting in your risk, sorting out the issues that we all face that kind of throw your projects into disarray. Um, and then you have your closeout. So you need to make sure that you're wrapping things, that you're taking that analytics, putting it into the next project and reusing that information to kind of make you better and to keep things kind of flowing. Now, there are other tools in our arsenal um, that I'm not overly familiar with because we have so much. Um, so I know that there are other tools that we've bought um, that still work within the project space. And I think one of them is kind of, um, I want to say 3D planning, but kind of don't quote me on it because I'm not 100% sure. But it's worthwhile just kind of having a look because I think a lot of people think that you're a Dell Tech employee, so you're a government contractor and you have them for ELP. And actually, that's not the case at all. Yeah. Yeah, I was just, I was just listening to that. Um, I, I actually started my journey in project controls with uh, Dell Tech, so quite familiar with their platform. Um, is it open plan? No, it was Cobra. Uh, okay, it was so defense... I'm going to give you two yeah. points if you can tell me what Cobra stands for. Oh, geez. I don't know. Because it's not, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that it was, wasn't. That was dodgeball, by the way. <laughs> is it like cobalt coding or something like that, is it? No, no cost right, no and idea. breakdown analysis. Wow. Is that how they come up with it? Yeah, C-O, had. They still had an icon. The icon was still a Cobra. So I don't no, know why. It's, it's not anymore. It was an oh, awful good. Mean... logo, but it's a much better one now. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I actually, I appreciated the tool because at the time, I think, you know, this is like 15 years back um, and it was a Navy project. Australian? And yep. yep. Yeah, it's a big and, market uh, in Australia. Yeah. And so I was introduced to P6. Oh, it wasn't P6 back then. It was whatever P it was, P3. One. <laughs> Yeah, it was like just after short track or something. I don't know. Um, and then we had Cobra. And, you know, at that time, Cobra wasn't the prettiest tool, but it certainly was a great numbers cruncher. So that makes sense from an accounting perspective. Um, and I was introduced to it from an earned value perspective, which I thought it did a really good job of doing something that, you know, most other tools didn't really have controls in. Like, you know, with, with planning tools, you can kind of do whatever you really want to do in there. Um, and it lets you. Whereas... Mm -hmm. Cobra would not. <laughs> and if you it, did, yeah. it would ask you why. It would log. It yeah, would log I bet it does why. a little log there saying so it's the same. So yeah, same you're like, oh, bloody hell. Yeah. I've got to put in a thing. Yeah, you know, like, and then it was oh, everything was tracked. You know? Well, like we have clients yeah. that they're, they're one of their grumbles is my, my project managers keep coming to me saying, why do I need to put this into Cobra? And it's like, what, you've put an extra activity in your schedule and now Cobra is telling you, well, now that you've put that in, where's your change number? What, that change piece you don't like? They were like, because project managers, yeah, Cobra will tell you, mm, should you be doing that? And if you are, can I please have some costs to assign to that, please? So, yeah, it is a good exactly. tool. What you want to do is kind of... Do, exactly. Of from, from, from a governance perspective, I think there's not many tools that do that. But one of my, my, not my pet peeves, but one of the interesting things as you, as you progress over your career is around the, the software integration piece. So you know that most projects have this very ordinary mobilization 
um, strategy, which didn't used to involve project controls at all. Um, and it wasn't until recently when I was working in the UK, and they'll know this, that I started bringing project controls in at the bid stage. Mm-hmm. I thought, what a, what a great idea, because mm. conceptually it's, it's where it should start. That's where you start building mm-hmm. a, a, a justification a that you know what you're doing. Hmm. Right. And you start to determine what systems you would use and which ones play nice. Um, but in the years of Teltec's kind of growth in this industry of project controls, where have they gone to in, in terms of integration? Are they now a, a platform that integrates with most? Do they have most connectors in place? You know, you, you work with, with clients all over the world. Um, are they getting better at integrating with non-native Dell Tech products or is it something that's on the roadmap? So I can't talk to the other tools, so like Costpoint, et cetera, because I just <laughs> yeah. don't sell Costpoint. Um, but I can honestly say in the PPM space, so in the Cobra space, so now you are you were on like Cobra 4.7, I'm going to guess, if not earlier. It was 4.2. 4.2, there we go. To, so I, had to up, I had to upgrade to 4.7. <laughs> so I, was, I came I in no just as 4.7 was kind of around. Uh, um, yeah. And one of the things that we've never really had that much of an issue with is the integration with Cobra. And the reason for that, so there's two things here. There's integration and then there's quality of data. So the integration in with Cobra you can pull stuff out of P6, Microsoft Projects, Open Plan, it doesn't really matter. And then as with most products in the market now, you have your kind of, well, I suppose your sellotape, so your stickle, if you like, which is your CSV formats, right? So as long mm-hmm. as you can get your data out into a CSV format, then you can bring it into the Dell Tech solutions, regardless of whether or not that be Acumen. Um, so everything that we have has that open architecture. Um, the bits that we will struggle with and have struggled with, and this will be the same for whatever tool set you've got, not just a Dell Tech one, is at times you're either, it's the quality of data. So sometimes we will find that you're trying to do a program or you're working for a particular client that uses this internally and the way that data is captured, because remember you just said, oh, you know, planning tools are great. You can do almost anything in those. But if you've got a work breakdown structure over here that is fundamentally different to the work breakdown structure over here, you have to make those talk to each other because a tool set is only going to do what you tell it to do. So if it means if it's red over here, but it's blue over here, you kind of have to go through a phase of making sure that they get synced up. And it's not a magic wand. There is some consistency that needs to happen at the project team level so that the tool set can then say, okay, I've now got consistent data and I can move forward. We do spend a lot of time telling Cobra that red equals blue and that one equals seven and so on and so forth to get those codes on codes. And it is really robust at being able to do that. Um, But it is always so much easier um, if you just all work in the same fashion. But, hey, is that ever really going to happen? We see it more in aerospace and defense than we do in infrastructure, maybe because somebody will actually say, I'm not going to pay you for this. Um, And, no, I don't want half an airplane. So you will build me a full airplane or I'm not going to pay you. So, yeah, there's a lot more rigor on that side. But, yeah. Well, I mean, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because, you know, I've worked in various industries, defense being probably, yeah, like you said, the most most governed and controlled. um, And ultimately they are built by their work breakdown structure. But I find infrastructure and other projects, maybe rail as well, finance have some overarching power on how we should design coding structures for building things and we seem to lean more on the stuff yeah it seems to lean more on the cost breakdown structure in the rp system which is irrelevant really 
uh, the work is far more important than how you're going to pay for it. Um, but that's because you're an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just makes sense. If you want to estimate the pieces of work, um, you should do it from the bottom up um, rather than just, uh, you know, wait for a, a kind of financial split of the, of the budget distribution and then say, right, we're going to model our work accordingly. But do you mm-hmm. find that that's quite common, uh, that, that CBS rules and WS is kind of slave? No. So we've had, so Cobra and most tools, I suppose, they have a skeleton that you start off with and then mm-hmm. all the meat is like attached to that, right? So, you know, you're a Cobra, you're in, you're from aerospace and defense. So when I talk about control accounts, you know what I mean, where your CBS crosses with your OBS. Um, we've only really had a couple of, or I'm going to say my experience because I'm in the UK. Now my US counterparts have probably come across this more but occasionally you get someone that says no 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 I want to use my OBS or I want to use my cost breakdown structure and we were like okay the cost breakdown structure only really comes into play when people are capturing costs that are not reflected in the project so if they say do you know what I need to carry the costs for the facilities or I need to carry a cost for you know IT or something like that but it's not actually a billable element within the the project whereas most of my experience has always been the wbs is our starting point we overlay everything else on top of that but then that might be because i work in a uk market that does not have a mandate um and it's almost 50 50 for us between aerospace and defense and kind of infrastructure whereas in australia it was very much aerospace and defense and in america again it's 50 50 but it's their governance with the whole sarbane oxley and all of that kind of stuff that they have over there on earned value is a lot stronger and so there is a right way and a wrong way to do it whereas we're very kumbaya and we will all talk about it and what do we feel is the best way and that's fine it's just everybody feels that they want to do it in a different way and so we have to accommodate that yeah, and you're mm-hmm. right. F- feelings are, uh, you know, as you say, they, they vary from people to people. So um, that, that all throws. God forbid, should you rub somebody up the wrong way by saying, <laughs> it? no, I don't think we should do it like that. So, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, so you talk about the states and you talk about how they do things slightly differently. And as you know, when our uh, paths crossed, what was maybe about 10 years ago, Nat, I think, mm-hmm. um, I was working for a. South a, Wimbledon. Yeah, that's it. I uh, I was working for a U.S. defense company at the time, and they used MPM, which was a Delta product, or I don't mm-hmm. know if it still is. Is that still around? There are still legacy cu- customers that have MPM, but we don't sell it new. Yeah. So MPM was hard-coded to American dollars. So it okay. was not going to work in a multi-currency yeah. kind of environment. We struggled but with it that. it was really good. It, it was, was really, really kind of yeah. slick, and it did one thing really, really well. Whereas yeah. Cobra does more, yes. and so Cobra was the path that, that Delta took. Yeah. What, no, what, is, that, what is MPM? It was similar so to like, <laughs> It was like the baby brother of Cobra. So it only spoke one language, and it just really kind of did one thing well, and lots of mm. organizations still have it because all they really need it to do is one thing well. Yeah. Yeah, that, so, so like you, Val, you cut your teeth with, I guess, Cobra. I, uh, in, in the EVM world, cut my teeth in NPM. Uh, and so, yeah, um, I was just interested from, a, I guess, a, a selfish point of view, if that's still around. Um, but just, just quickly on, on some of the other um, tools that you've got, you know, just rattling down the list and people can go to the website and have a look. You've sure. got Cobra, you've got Winsight, uh, OpenPlan, uh, Acumen uh, for, for schedule and project risk. Uh, you've got uh-huh. PM Compass uh, for project uh-huh. workflows. 
One question I've always had, and um, I wonder if you could give us a bit of a, a view into this. Why not just one tool that does it all and you can switch on the different parts? Um, so the tools, I have a couple of clients that have everything. And the nature of a kind of um, a project alliance or a JV is typically um, companies want to mix and match. So they'll say, I want this tool because that's what the client has said um, and I'm going to mix it with this. So you might have like P6 with Cobra and you might use Power BI and then you might have, I don't know, at risk or any other tool. Um, and one of the things that, you know, IT company or the IT element doesn't want to do is implement an entire solution just for one piece because you have to test and package and you can upgrade one piece and you then have to understand what the impact is on something else. Um, so sometimes you don't want to buy the whole cow just to have a hoof. Right. Um, now, I'm not saying that we're not going in that direction because, you know, our tools um, have made their way into Dell Tech through acquisition. So, you know, I came into Dell Tech just after we bought Welcome. So you guys would have used, Co well, Val, you would have used Cobra when Cobra was owned by the Welcome company. And mm. then we bought Acumen. So about half of our tools are probably internal developed and the new tools that will come out as part of these, but some of them have come in. So it's kind of like horses for courses. So some clients will say, I just want um, one part of the solution. And some clients will say, do you know what? I'm going to have a holistic. So as I say, we have got clients that have everything and I've got clients that I've sold everything to. Um, it all comes from Delta X, so it's our responsibility to make it all work and talk to each other. Um, but at any point, they could say, do you know what, I'm going to turn that product off and I'm going to put something else in. And so we almost have to work harder to keep it all together because you can't turn part of it off. But as I say, it's not that we're not going to be kind of moving that way in the future. Um, but I will say, I think when you end up with single source tools, you get a deeper and richer functionality in it than all of a sudden having a planning cost risk workflow change management corporate contract change tool because all of a sudden you have to start thinking about how everything impacts on everything else within one tool and where is your time and energy going so i don't know we'll just have to see how that pans out no absolutely that that's interesting and it's really good to know because you know a lot of people think oh it's purely because you just want to sell more products but actually there's some other reasoning behind it which gives you the flexibility which is great yeah. um so thank, thanks for giving us that, that insight um and if I may just kind of maybe be a little bit provocative, um, we spoke previously <laughs> to one of our previous guests um, around P6, Primavera, mm -hmm. and you know Val and I both uh, think it's clunky and that it's not the best planning tool out there in the world. And um, our, our guest, yeah. Michael Lepage, who you know is very well versed in, in P6, it, it is. It's not the best planning tool out there, but it's just, you know, it's just, been in the market for such a long time that everyone goes to it. Mm -hmm. What's the, the workhorse? Exactly. So yeah. what are some of the struggles that you will get competing with, say, your open plan with a, a P6, for example? And how do you kind of say, hey, look, um, or, or are there any gaps, do you think, between the two? Um, or how do you sort of kind of say, hey, look, if you want to use Cobra, um, which is you know one of the leading products uh, when it comes to mm -hmm. uh, earned value and cost management, um, Surely you should be using OpenPlan because it integrates very well and it does everything, if not better than P6. Is, is that, 
is that, is that a struggle with clients because they keep thinking planning, scheduling, I need to use Primavera? It is. It is. But we have, we have, you know, displaced P6 with Open Plan, and Open Plan has been displaced with P6. Um, I think a key piece, though, is I mean, I've walked into lots of meetings where. And I'm thinking of one particularly big client and I hadn't been enrolled for that long. So we're probably going back like eight years. And he kind of turned around and said, so do you think planning is dead? And I was like, I'm just (laughs) going to wait for my colleague to arrive and he's going to talk to you about this. But let's talk about something else. Let's talk about dogs. I can talk about dogs. And we did talk about dogs for about 10 minutes. But um, I think because planning tends to be that kind of first kind of port of call. So if you're going to say, let's take the work breakdown structure. So let's figure out what we're actually going to do. Um, You kind of want to go out to the market to recruit from a pool of people. And most planners will have P6 on their repertoire. And not many of them will have open plan. Not and that's just the way that life is. Mm. Um, but if you look at the maturity of what the tool will do, so if you take something like the other planning tool that's out there in the market, a lot of people will say it's really good because it will do what Val says. It will let you do lots of stuff that perhaps you might not always want to do, but it's going to let you do it. And then you go into P6 and open plan and it's going to put some rigor around your your process. So it's going to tell you, you can do that, but should you really do that? Because I wouldn't really want to do that. So it's going to start pushing back. Um, the interesting thing with kind of like the UK market is that we used to have quite a good foothold um, on the scheduling world when we were in welcome. And then, I don't know, P6 just kind of eclipsed. It kind of got bought by Oracle. It got launched up. So I think a lot of the the um, ERP sales reps perhaps were then able to kind of bring in the scheduling piece and kind of underneath perhaps some larger kind of software deals because you'll tend to see that. They have those relationships already. But, you know, it we now have to live in the world in which we're in, which is P6 is that go-to tool. It may not be the best tool, but it is what most of your planners are going to know how to do. And if what you need is a software jockey just to get it done and make it work and push it through and progress it, then you're going to go with, you know, a CV that's going to, you know, if 10 of your CVs hit your desk and nine of them say P6 and one of them says open plan, then you're going to go for the tool that you've got the interesting thing with what you were saying about the integrating of tool sets is that cobra open plan and pm compass which is our change tool actually all work in the same database so you don't have to integrate anything Mm. so a lot of clients when they're kind of thinking about what tools am i going to use if they're not having it dictated because they're in a jv or the client hasn't said thou must give me this information in this holy grail then you know they will consider it and they will look at it um and we will displace it. And we do talk to people about it on a regular basis. You know, Open Plan like Cobra has a very long historical roadmap. And that's important because every time we build new synapses into the tool, we don't turn old synapses off. So when you go and you get a pitch from a software company and they say, oh, it's really configurable. Um, when we say configurable, we really mean it. We don't say customize because customize is like, oh, I'm going to build this just for you because you're mm. special and unique. And then you're going to have to keep upgrading that customization to keep the tool. No, our tool is really configurable because of the historical roadmap. So we bring new stuff in. So if you want to go from like you know a to c you can go in lots of different directions but if you want to go from a to z in cobra and or open plan you've probably got like five or six different routes so there's really good functionality in that um 
But yeah, it is not the jewel of our crown as much as I would like it to be. It it isn't. And when people are talking about Deltec and our three-legged stool of like co- of cost, schedule, and risk, um, the schedule piece is now eclipsed by the Acumen toolset. Great, thanks. And you've just mentioned our first triangle, and we love triangles on the show. So uh, <laughs> thanks for bringing up love that. triangles. Love a triangle. Uh, but talk about and a wheel. Love, uh, yeah, or a wheel. And wheels. Yeah. But um, but we'll stick with uh, uh, triangles for the for the purpose of the of Project Chatter podcast. Um, and talk about another one um, that's close and dear to your heart is people, process, and tools. And Val and I have spoken about this before as well. And you mentioned there around having the right people to operate the tools. Um. How difficult is that, um, as you say, um, it, obviously it plays a big part, as you've just illustrated, um, when you have you know nine CVs that say Primavera and one says Open Plan and no one's heard of Open Plan, it's really difficult to, to break into that organization. Um, but is there anything that um, a company like Delta can do to um, sort of increase the amount of users out there of its products? Because um, that clearly goes hand in hand with you know um, a company selecting a product mm. is, is having the employees the staff to be able to use them i mean we do a lot of education so um you know both in the precursor to looking at tool sets but then also um once the company has chosen tool sets so i came from um a learning and training organization almost just before i came into deltech um and organizational change and adoption of toolset is key because if people feel that they're being foolish in the tools that they're using so they don't think that this is getting the job done and it's reflecting badly on their ability to deliver as an employee they're going to go back to what they what they know Um, so we do put a lot of time and energy into lots of different ways to educate people so you know we have um online learning with um, a subscription that allows you to watch as much training and when we give people their access to the dlz dell tech learning zone and i know i say z and not z i just can't help it dlz just doesn't work for me um they get access to all of our tool sets so they may have just bought cobra but they can do the training on open plan and acumen and Winsight. so you get the entire tool set and then within that as well there's um elements on industry so you'll probably find this vowel that sometimes the way that EV is spelled in Australia is subtly different to somebody else's spelling of EV elsewhere in the world. So if you've not, if you're trying to implement earn value and people have subtly different understanding about what that actually means, what it looks like in practice, what it reports and what that report is telling you, um, it can be quite difficult. Um, and so we do a lot of education around that. We have our dummies book series that whenever I'm at a trade show, I just cannot keep these things on the desk. Um, and those dummies books are totally software agnostic. They're totally jargon busted. They're the, the wiki company. So it is kind of earned value mm. for dummies. It's not us calling you guys dummies. It's the brand. Um, so we do try to put as much as we can out there. And if somebody ever rang up and said, you know, I just want to learn open plan. Can I have the DLZ? not expensive have it for 12 months and do as much on that training as you want so if you are that kind of consultant that's out there that jumps from company to company and you want to go in your downtime that you've got at the moment if you have it and learn a tool set then you know go learn the full deltech suite and see what you can find yeah no there's good points i i and i find um we've talked about it before dale about education like it's such an important facet and i, I kind of get annoyed when i see p6 on 
CVs. And maybe that's just me because I'm pretty sure we don't employ planners because of the software competencies. I know that's important to have that on there, I guess, but it almost acts as a ticket for acceptance as a planner. And I was like, well, actually it's not a prerequisite because planning, planning is, is the method planning is the competency we're looking for, mm-hmm. not your ability to do, use the features of a software. Um, so I'm always curious because I've certainly seen in the past, someone says, Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a P6 planner. Um, what they really mean is I understand how to navigate. Um, and I imagine that's the same for all, all software, but mm-hmm. just, just moving away from software and, and people, I mean, the industry is quite interesting and each country is a bit different. You mentioned earned value. There's so many disparities on earned value. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You go from charcoal to crayon to, to pen, but you know, if you, if you think about the maturity, um, and how bastardized a term. I mean, that's the most bastard in project controls. I think earn value is the most bastardized term ever, uh, other than agile. I think agile is probably a close contender for that. I think um, I agree with that one. Bet- between the two of them, if someone says I've got an earn, I've got an agile earn value project, I will just lose <laughs> my shit. Uh, but but it's it's something that I've I've grappled with recently, and so you know we talk about project controls being on the front end of a project, being part of the bid, perhaps setting up the tools, being part of that advisory community to say, these are the systems you should integrate. How do you do that on education level? Because, and is that a recruiting strategy perhaps? I mean, this is a, it's probably not a specific software question, but it's more around how you get people bought into um, a, a learning culture. Is, is there a way, I mean, you mentioned DLZ, that's a really good, way to do it, you know, give them access to everything, let them learn at their own pace. Uh, I'll find a lot more people are doing that in this, this, uh, this environment mm-hmm. uh, is, is taking that downtime, going online. Everyone's giving up stuff for free. IBM's got free uh, kind of training. You've got training. Everyone's giving it away. But how, how do you direct that? How do you, how, what's your view on that? So I did listen to a couple of your podcasts and I listened to Dale's like predictions for this year which came out Christmas last year and there were two things on there that resonated with me and one of them is that initiation phase and then I think the other one was like the role of AI in like the rise of Skynet but the Mm. the the first one the initiation phase starts I think a lot of people think initiation phase from a software perspective or from that kind of perspective happens once you've chosen the software so we're all going to sit down we're going to talk about what we're doing but the initiation in my head starts way 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 before that because you you're you're within your organization and you're looking at everything and if you're going to make a change you're making a change for a reason so there's obviously something there that you want to change and it's always going to be the people that you're going to start with because people only follow processes that are outlined and tool sets only support the people following those 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 processes so on that kind of learning piece um I've done a couple of like organizational change management things with Delta Tech, um, and we have like an entire arm that's just about this. Um, and we've sat down with clients and we're going through an initiation and all of a sudden they've said, you know, what, let's just take a, a temperature check. And we've sat down with people and our kind of HR kind of qualified people have come in and they've started talking to them about what is it that we're doing and what are you doing and what do you think this benefit to you is and so on and so forth and you find out that their hearts and minds are massively different to what you think they're going to be and it's a complete rainbow across the 
entirety of the team. But if you think, let's do that at the very beginning and you get people engaged at the start and you say, this is not about I'm going to go and get a tool set and we're going to like bring in something new and we're not going to start changing processes. And you actually say, I'm going to start with the people. I'm going to go to you and say, what is it that you would want to happen? And what can we instigate now? Because you don't have to get a consultant in to write processes and another tool set just for you to sit down with your people and say, are you engaged? What do you want? What do you need? And how can we support you? And that kind of pre um, alignment of hearts, minds, processes, thought waves, synapses, whatever you want to call it, is a really good place to start. And I think at that point, people are collectively it's kind of that, that herd mentality that you're all in it together so if I put my hand up and say do you know what I would like to be able to do training on this because I don't think that that's you know I sometimes think that I might be saying or working things differently you're kind of with your mates you're not at the headmaster's door on your own and I think yeah. a lot of organizations could start there and then we get involved from a software perspective after they've rewritten their processes and then we're going to put a tool set against that. But I always do sometimes wonder whether or not the hearts and minds of that PMO are ready to be at that point. And so sometimes the initiation when it comes to implementation doesn't go as smoothly because all of a sudden you're having to go back to that first bit to say, okay, we're putting in a new tool set and we've got these new processes. How do you feel about it? Well, you should have said, how do you feel about it? Because we think we're going to need new processes and potentially a new tool set. So I yeah. don't know. That might be about yeah. 10 pence on that. You mentioned another, you touched on it as well. You, you mentioned initiation and, and other Dell's predictions around AI. Where, where do you, um, just slipping into the future now, because if I'm not spending time with the kids, I spend the rest of my time in, in the future, fantasy land, um, thinking about what's, what's happening to the industry and, and where is it going to go? And there's a lot of hype around machines doing all this great stuff for us. A lot of it is hype. I say it's yeah. hype because we're, we're nowhere near that. Um, I was listening to something really interesting last night where, you know, because of the free market and because of the way we compete, um, we probably lost a hundred years of R and D, um, naturally, you know, you think about electric cars and all this stuff. We've had this tech for quite a while. Um, and, but it was suppressed. I wonder, um, you know, cause I look at mega projects now mm-hmm. and most projects in Australia, at least, <clears throat> excuse me, are $1 billion plus. Now, when I started, 1 billion was not even heard of as a project. Um, projects are getting bigger, they're getting more complicated, they're getting more complex. Um, there's more requirements. There's certainly bigger products being serviced. Mm-hmm. Um, how, and, and, but we're still running spreadsheets. We're still running, you know, exporter CSVs. We're still manhandling, or, you know, excuse the term, but manhandling information between departments. There's still siloed factories of work. Uh, left hand isn't talking to the right hand. All of these problems that probably the listeners could uh, resonate with. Um, where do you see the future of tools and and how long is it going to take to get this this master utopian view for project controls which is everything singing and dancing together so yeah it's it is peculiar because there's automization and kind of artificial intelligence um but then at the same time, everybody has to have a job because we can't all be sitting at home. So people, so the more you bring this in, is it, are there less bums on seats? And does that kind of then push people kind of out? And what are these people then going to kind of go and do? Um, so that always kind of slightly worries me because um, when I was kind of talking to some of our people um, at Deltech, somebody sent me through a quote from Gartner that's 
really quite scary because they said 80% of PM tasks will be administrated um, or kind of managed by AI or automization in the next 10 years, which effectively means that if you are in project management and there are, let's say, 10 people that are listening to this, eight of you will be out of a job in like 10 years. And I just can't. Out of that job, yeah. Well, yeah. Out of a, yeah. <laughs> but what would you move on to do? Um, and project management is, um, it's kind, it is still kind of a human being engagement because, so when I sit, well, I haven't sat on the SIG for a while, but when I was sitting on the SIG and we were looking at the, um, the, the, the routes that people get into project management, and there are certain things that um, people always say about things like stakeholder engagement and communication between the team and kind of, you know, uh, the role of a project manager and the concept that, you know, most project managers will be engineers or they'll be um, from finance or quantity surveyors, etc. Um, but their main role is to talk to everybody and to make decisions and to get people's experiences so that you can then forecast, right? So you think about risk. So you, you stood there on the side of a road and you say to the guy that has been doing this job for 30 years what do you think is most likely going to happen here and that human interaction is really important because it's his gut feel or her gut feel and then your gut feel and then you will then put that information into a tool set and it's going to analyze it and give you the human being something to work with so it might streamline the process but it doesn't make the decisions um, mm. and so you know, we have automi um, automation, so, you know, workflows so that you don't have to have people, you know, picking up this piece of paper and putting this piece of paper over here. Um, you know, we have artificial intelligence that will say this is what this report is probably telling you so to get you started, to kind of help people to be talking is that about in the same kind of things. It's in Winsight so, and it's in um, Acumen. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and Winsight has had that in for a long time. Like, I'm going to say. Since I started years. using, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, and, I mean, and that's great. So you don't have to agree with what the software is telling you. And that's the key thing here. You don't have to agree with what the software tells you because somebody's programmed that. And so when we talk about the fact that one person's EV is different to somebody else's, why would one software not be different to somebody else's? So there mm. kind of always needs to be a human being. And it, um, can it always be one human being? Probably not because it's a billion pound program. So would you really want to have yeah. the responsibility of that kind of on your shoulders? So I don't know. I think things that are going to kind of impact kind of the future um, of software is, as Dale said, the kind of integration. Um, I think that there is a lot of over convoluted project management processes. So I think sometimes it's really, really complicated um, for what could be done quite simply. Or sometimes a client might um you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of let's just start with vanilla. Let's just start with something really simple. And then once you've got that under your belt, then start telling me that you want chocolate sprinkles on this. And then you want cherry sauce and all of the other stuff on top of it. Mm. Once you've got a good foundation, um, because that's what happens. Inevitably, you want more information, more data, more decision. And I think at the moment, we've got mega projects with mega data. You can't see the wood for the trees. And then when you can, um, it might be a bit too late. So I think we've got more things that we need to worry about than yep. the yep. rise of Skynet at the moment. No, no, it's, a, it's an interesting point because, um, you know, the, the research out there is, I mean, I used to use Windside as well. I used it on one of the biggest Navy projects we had, which at the time was, I think it was about 10 years ago, you're right, uh, air warfare destroyers, and it had an AI report in it, 
which we used to pump out for fun and we called it shits and giggles because when a when a project manager or a control account manager would write a narrative they would effectively state the problem but not tell you how they're going to fix it so we'd introduce the ai report which basically states the obvious you know you're late because you spent this much over this amount of time blah blah blah. your spi cpi is this and it forced the control account manager or the project manager to come up with something else because they couldn't write the same thing as the ai report and we thought that was a great disarmer because it, it disqualified them from having to write the obvious and then they had to write something a little bit more intuitive and i think you're right around we're always going to need people as connectors. I don't think we're ever going to get away from that. And I hopefully we don't never get away from that. Um, the decision, the final decision has to be human. Um, but how we make up that decision um, is really interesting. And, and everyone's got different views. And I'm, I'm wondering if, because I, I get the business decision is to stifle, well, maybe stifles a, a harsh word, but to slow down innovation because of the risk of, you know, uh, unskilled workers losing jobs and maybe that's part of the stigma out there in project management i think if we automate too much we're going to be out of a role um, i certainly talked about the the jeopardy of the role of, of a planner is a planner still required in the future i think they're still required i think what ends up happening is um, a trade-off between the work they do now and the work that they're going to do in the future i think mm-hmm. there's a there's an amalgamation of data science that's that's coming into um, the project control sphere there's things like that were sitting on the on the cusps, like the digital engineering space, like BIM, and yeah. and the models and and all the analytics. And it's like, well, actually, that shouldn't really sit with engineering. I mean, they should definitely operate it. Um, but who who builds it? Who sets it up? Who maintains it? Who 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 sets the control parameters? It's it's most likely project controls or PMO to some degree. And um, I think every time humanity, I guess, has a leap forward. There's always a concern, you know, Dale and I worked on rail projects and obviously the biggest risk there is trains running themselves for drivers, right? So you can imagine the concern that drivers have uh, about their longevity in that role and then what do they do next? You know, that's all they know. So there's, there's certainly going to be some disruption when, when new technology comes in. It's that handoff, isn't it? It's the handoff. Yeah. So, you know, when we're looking at fuse and, and things like that, for what fuse does yeah it can mm. replace some a person's role that is when their role is literally just to check schedules to see if they've correctly logic linked or to check one version of a schedule to another version to see you know if somebody put a change in there and we haven't got a change number so we'll use it at the beginning of our change process um but it's not that you'd like to think that they would redeploy that time onto some kind of decision-making responsibility but again in order to make a decision you have to have experience because it's your experience that guides you into what your ultimate decision is going to kind of be and they've got to glean that experience from somewhere isn't it it's like the concept that was it good leaders say I started at the bottom and I worked my way up and what happens if you don't start at the bottom because the bottom is now automated so what happens if you've never learned how to build a schedule because your scheduling tool builds it so how do you know it's wrong if you've never had to build it? Well, I think that the methodology shouldn't go away, but it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's, yeah, it's human nature to be ignorant around technology, isn't it? I mean, you think about your smartphone, does, does, do many people know how the smartphone works or your, or your TV or your computer for that matter? Um, we kind of just well, take it for granted, to, don't we? Yeah. I know how to make a telephone call on it. <laughs> I know how to do <laughs> yeah, some, yeah, yeah. I learned how to put YouTube on the TV using my smartphone about three days oh, right. ago. <laughs> was, was that with like, uh, Chromecast, was it? 
it, no, it was, I don't know. It was, I think it's because we're all on the same Wi-Fi. And yeah, actually, it wasn't, wow. me that, yeah. it wasn't me yeah, that wow. found it out. It was my four-year-old daughter that wow. did it. And I was like, what the hell is Teletubbies doing on my TV? And then I went and got the iPad and she'd managed to figure Give it out. Give her a job at Dell Tech. Give her a job. Oh, she's an integrator. Uh-huh. She's got, she she's got the gift. <laughs> what it is is that she sees a button and she pushes it. That's what it is. But um, they are. The kids are incredible at this stuff. I mean, you, oh. you you talk about you know how people are going to adapt. Look how how incredibly um, you know integrated kids are with technology. It's it, it's not surprising. I mean, I don't I don't know about Dale's prediction of the Skynet piece is quite there yet. But but definitely integration of technology into us is something that I think is definitely coming. And that could be in the form of, you know, you're talking about like reality. phones in your hands. <laughs> well, it might not be a phone, but yeah, I am. I'm not in your hand. Maybe that's the wrong spot. Uh, maybe on your wrist. Um, or maybe it's not even a piece of physical material. It's something that's, you know, maybe it's a bit of wire. You know, as, as Elon Musk says, you know, Neuralink would just be a bit of wire touching your brain. I think that's a pretty creepy thought. Um, but, you know, kind of bringing it to like the near and, and the feasible future. Uh, I, I certainly think that low value, I mean, Dale and I talk about low value transactional tasks. Mm-hmm. It's like if we could give up all of that, we could be far more valuable to a project. And I think that's that's what you want to do. As a leader, you want to give more value back. And how do you do that? Just mm-hmm. remove the friction. And yeah. so I, I find Excel, a, it's a friction point. I find email a friction point um, between real communication, which we were kind of not able to do really. I mean, Zoom Zoom's great, um, but this would have been far better face-to-face because mm-hmm. I think there's still a, there's a human element of everything we do that's important. But yeah, I, I get your points. Do you think that's interesting though? Because um, you're a f- so email, which is electronic mail, the future of mail. But actually, what you want to do is speak to somebody, which is old yeah. analog approach. I remember reading something about um, the Egyptians in the sense that the Egyptians wrote in pictures hieroglyphs and 3000 years later, we've now gone back to using emojis and writing in pictures and it is this kind of massive yeah. circle. Yeah. So now we want to see everything yeah. in a picture form. We don't even want to look at it. So we've now gone back to writing in hieroglyphs, but it well, is interesting because we... is technology it's not a barrier, but does it blur the ability for you to have a conversation? Does it make us all a bit more insular? Yeah. And, and I was going to add there, will we as a human race ever be satisfied um, and that's probably the right. another circle that we can go into, Nat. <laughs> but we won't. Insatiable um, by nature. Oh, yeah. The power of project management conversation, guys. <laughs> I know this is deep. Quick, the stars are aligning. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's not the wine or beer or coffee talking at all. <laughs> um, yeah. I just want to jump in there, Nat, and um, get your views uh, on the industry. Um, you know, you, you touched on a bit of AI and skill sets and you, you touched on how various companies, particularly in the UK, it's not kind of, um, this is the standards and this is what we kind of got to follow and this is best practice. Um, but it's more about, you know, I feel like this is good or I think this is good. Are there any sort of um, trends that you're seeing from your perspective on, on how companies are moving um, particularly towards um, various things we've discussed? For example, Val and I have previously discussed around, um, you know, in, in the project control space, perhaps, or the PMO space, more and more companies are maybe looking at generalists rather than, uh, you know, um, subject matter experts. So, yes, you'll still need to be a, a um, understand planning and scheduling, um, but perhaps because of technology, you don't mm-hmm. have to f- um, be able to be the mechanic that 
understands every in and out of a Primavera because that's starting to get a bit better, perhaps like with your open plans, etc. Uh-huh. So is, is that kind of changing in terms of what you're seeing in the market to, towards any trends or is it kind of just plateaued and a lot of companies are the same? Because we also, we've spoken previously about um, how we feel controls and certainly PMO is quite immature and it, it's still maturing as long as the maturity curve. It's not as established as say engineering or accountancy. Um, and, and so in many ways we feel there's a lot of opportunity, um, but it's, it's, it's really always just good to get someone of your breadth of, of industry to, 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 to kind of give us your view on, on wh- what, where you thinking, um, mm-hmm. you know, our profession is heading. So I think there's kind of, and this is again, kind of my opinion and just from the unique experience, I suppose that I have in the because I'm not a practitioner and I support lots of companies. Um, I mean, over 12 years, you get to know some companies really well. New ones come in, old ones go out, etc. But, you know, there, there's there's probably three ways that you can look at that. So from a PMO perspective, I've seen companies go from a centralized PMO function to a divisional one to a project one and then go all the way kind of background again so it's kind of like we're going to try something new and then we're like yeah we're not quite sure so by that I mean let's have all of our project management people together so and then well no now we're going to make them all niche again and then we're going to make them all back together again one of the things that we're kind of hearing now is if you take something like Cobra and cost um, sometimes Cobra people will rely will be in finance and then sometimes they'll be in project controls or the project management and then you occasionally will get the kind of coming together of heads because they use the same language but they mean something very very different so you know like um i don't know estimate at complete and remaining budget and some people will say one accounting term and it doesn't always necessarily mean the same thing if you're over in project controls so there's definitely been um a lot of shift over 12 years where people are saying we need to bring people together so that they're speaking the same language so what we'll do is we'll try a restructure to bring people together um, and i think at the moment the one that i'm hearing the most is um because we 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 kind of went through the whole cost piece and the integrated cost and schedule and I think now a lot of people kind of understand that because your work breakdown structure and your cost breakdown structure your organizational breakdown structure is it's pretty defined as to what they are what we're seeing now is I suppose more of a marriage between schedule and risk Um, so at the moment lots of people are looking at kind of schedule risk analysis and cost risk analysis and one of the repeating stories that I'm hearing is we that is that risk teams don't necessarily reside in project controls they might reside somewhere else and the planning team um, are definitely within your project management and your planning controls and so what typically has happened is the planning team controls the schedule until they give it to the risk team that effectively takes it and pushes it to the right because they've applied all of their their risks and their analytics say this is what could happen and then it goes back to well this is the interesting thing sometimes it goes back to planning and sometimes it doesn't so that people can say well let's optimize this um, and it's definitely a story that um, that the acumen tool set was kind of built around because you have fuse, you have risk and you have 360. So you, you build your schedule and you have a good schedule. You then 
add your risks to it because your first risk is that your schedule is not good. So you don't really want to apply any risks to a schedule that's nowhere near delivering. And then you decide, okay, if this does happen or when this happens, because inevitably something's going to happen, what are my options to get either some time back um, or to completely and utterly mitigate that thing from happening? So, you know, I've got 50 grand in my call it what you want, contingency management reserve, whatever number, um, whatever language you want to use. Um, and deciding where you're going to spend that, is that a planner's job or is that a risk person's job? And so there's definitely this kind of coming together of um, certain parts. And I think we're starting to see some of that in the way that projects are restructuring. But at the moment, I'm definitely seeing programs coming together so it used to be central functions yeah. and now they seem to be kind of almost breaking still breaking out a little bit so instead of it all being one it's now saying okay well maybe we'll have five or six central functions um or what they'll do is they'll say right here is our portfolio of projects so these are the mega ones because they're over a certain threshold so that will have one team and then these so yeah, we, but I don't ever think that's ever going to to change. It's kind of like, um, you know, winter is coming and the wheel is turning and it depends which house is on the top as to, you know, and then it constantly goes round and round. God, I'm showing my colours, I'm a real geek. But yeah, it <laughs> constantly um, goes round and change. And I don't think that's a bad thing because I think that change is good. Try something new. If it works, great. But every change that they go through, they'll learn something new. Yep. Um, and then you know it's, it's a new experience it gets very I suppose it's very easy to get stagnant but then also there's a lot of people that are changing roles like I'm constantly um, going on to LinkedIn and seeing that who was head of projects here is now head of projects here um, and so when they move you know you want to put your stamp on it so do you want to then go through a, a change or come up with a new initiative so I think some of it is cultural some of it yeah. is just the natural cycle of things and I'm not sure whether or not that answered your question but no no it, it's really great because it's mainly just to get your insight you know um, you know there's, there's no real facts and figures around it um, but what I got from that is that there's you certainly seeing evolution that yes. people are trying things and w rightly or wrongly they're at, they're not as you say, being stagnant by, by standing still, sitting ducks in the water. They're, even if it's going full circle again, at least they're trying different things and, and approaching um, uh, projects and PMO and project controls in, in, in mm -hmm. different ways. And, and, that's, and that's pleasing to hear, um, you know, um, especially as, as we mentioned, it's um, for us certainly a bit of, uh, still in its infancy um, and, and still growing as a profession. So, mm -hmm. so that's really, really um, Cool to hear. Um, but I'm going to... Just sorry, before go you run on, there is yeah. one thing that I think is really interesting that is happening in the UK. Um, and that is what the IPA is putting out, their guidance on major projects. And some of the language in there is kind of like... The, it, it feels like we're moving in a way that there is, like with the US and Australia, a right way to spend taxpayers' money and a wrong way to spend it. Mm. Um, and it... You know, the MOD are now sort of like saying this is the and value approach that we want to take. Um, I'm I'm all for a, not a prescriptive, but I'm all for a bit more of a, a guidance. Um, and I definitely hear that from a lot of clients, um, especially if they're in the central function and they have to report up to either 
client stakeholders or the exec board and they're desperately pulling lots of different types of project information that's collective and gathered in a different way um, and so they can't you know it's really difficult for them to say can you just give me the number because if the calculation to arrive at that number was different from the different projects it doesn't always stack up yeah so i think that you know we're starting to see um the ipa and some of the other government bodies putting out stuff saying we would like you to do this we understand this this is what we would like you to provide us and we've not seen that in the uk and i've now seen that in the mod and i'm starting to see that in infrastructure as well um and i think the IPA put out their guidelines maybe last or a, a refresh of the guidelines last year because I always read the IPA report every year and you look at all of the projects and you see if they're red yellow or green and then you can go down and see how much money and it was interesting wasn't it when Horizon left when they shut down the Horizon it was like 60 billion just disappeared off the line item for energy um, but miraculously went up into transport so it's interesting to see where the government is actually spending stuff and now they're kind of giving us a bit more guidance as to what how they would like to receive information which i think is interesting no that's really really great um because i think you know we kind of call it freedom within the framework um as you say you don't want to be too over prescriptive to people you don't want to tell them exactly you have to do this 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 because then the robot could do it um but the complete lack of anything also doesn't work either so um, not it's when just you're consolidating framework. Exactly, exactly. So that that's really interesting, and thanks for sharing that. I just want to, um, before I hand back to, to Val, ask you one more question, and it's around, uh, we discussed it kind of before we hit record, software as a service. So exactly what is that, and does Deltec do it? Okay, so software as a service. So that is kind of, um, so Deltec as a company does do it, um, and we do it with a lot of our other products. We don't offer software as a service in the PPM space. So that is when you say to Deltec, I want access to um, a piece of software and I'm going to pay you a monthly subscription and you're going to go online, you're going to sign in. So it's kind of like, you know, your sales forces and so on and so forth. Um, you know, that data is held by the company, the company that you're taking your subscription from and they're holding it in their data centers. Um, you are then tied into the configuration and the version because software as a service um, is a cost saving initiative. So everybody's on that same version and you might be on the older version, but eventually you're going to get forced to, to kind of move up and, and forward. Um, so we're not quite there yet with the PPM space. And again, I don't know what is being talked about. It's above my pay grade. So yeah, that might be a way we're going in the future. But what we do do is a hosted solution. So hosted solution is kind of like the best of both worlds. So a lot of companies now are kind of saying, OK, I want to have my data in the cloud, but it's not the cloud. It's a sky full of clouds because you can have your finance data in one cloud and your project management software in another cloud. Now you've got to make two clouds talk to each other across those data. But how is that any different to having being in your own organization and having data on one server and data on another server? So now what you've got to do is make sure that you can get through firewalls that you have around the security elements of clouds and stuff. So we're seeing a lot of clients say, OK, we're going to have a hosted solution. So I'm going to buy on-prem products from you and I'm going to put it on somebody else is going to host it so I'm going to get rid of that IT nightmare and it is kind of the best of both worlds because they're in control of their version if they never want to upgrade they don't have to they find something that they like they stick with it if they want to configure it so it's blue 
rather than red they can do that and keep it red for however long they want to so we've definitely seen a lot of clients say if we're not going to host it with a third party we're going to shove it on azure or we're now going to amazon web services ourselves and doing it um, or they'll outsource the management thereof so there are plenty of companies out there that will manage your software um, on your behalf um, is it where we're going to go i suspect we probably will because a lot of the Dell Tech products are already there, so mm. it kind of makes sense. But does that mean that we will ever go fully SaaS in the PPM? I would like to say no, because there's always going to be a client that says, I need my data to reside in-house because we're building something that can't get out. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, if you want something done securely, do it yourself. You've only got yourself to blame. I am accountable and responsible, so I'm going to hold on to my data. And I think until that changes... It'll never be a full, a fully SaaS kind of environment and world. But that doesn't mean that we can't have options. And I suspect that we probably will. No, brilliant. Thanks for clarifying that. And um, while you were chatting there about two different clouds talking to each other, I was just hoping that they don't turn into a thunderstorm. <laughs> oh, I think inevitably they do. I think they probably do. But um, no, brilliant. Um, just as we kind of head towards wrapping up the pod, I just want to hand back to Val um, to, to kind of cover uh, the last couple of questions. So, so mine, you know, just thinking about clouds and data and, you know, the data lake experience and, and what that means. A, a lot of more clients, you're right, are moving to that cloud experience. And we had debates and we probably will have more debates on this show about services in general. You know, the SaaS model made famous by software, but can it be applied to PMO and project management as a service? So rather than having, you know, you could bolt on almost and acquire certain services as you as you engage, as you go through that project life cycle. Mm -hmm. Do you think project controls, project controls as a service will be something that, that uh, the industry bites onto? I think they've already done it. So in my opinion, I think it's very rare that we go into a client when they don't have a consultant that sat next to them. Um, now, our premise has always been that our software should be managed and and when I say managed, I'm like, you can put your own projects in, you can configure it yourself, you can customize not customize you can build your own reports and you can build those out so you can change what the outputs are and you can change what your inputs are um, but inevitably there is always a consultant or there is a bum on a seat that's turning that piece of software on behalf of a client um, and there are times that I've heard from clients when they've said they've woke up one day and they've looked into their into their office and half the people in there are not their own employees and it's you know that what they're doing is that they are providing that bum on seat service so i think that's been here and it has been here for a really long time um mm. and then i think clients then sort of like are very aware that the knowledge does not reside in their own ranks sometimes and so they're very then dependent on that person and whether or not they stay or not because they it's in their head it's not within your organization it's not necessarily documented somewhere and it is a weakness and a lot of clients are now saying okay well maybe we now need to kind of change foot but it doesn't mean that it goes away it just means that you have to treat it in such a way that if it does go away you don't lose all of the knowledge the skills yeah. and yeah. the ability to be able to manage your own projects i mean there's certainly there's certainly critical elements of a project you know where you want premium resources with the specialty skills like when you're mobilizing or initiation or you're handing over from bid or you're closing down a project or you're going through a really major rebaseline or reprogram or something like mm -hmm. that it would be useful to have 
um, some kind of helicoptered in special forces, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just an interesting point that I thought, you know, I'd, I'd ask you because yeah, I, I think you're right. There's always been, there's always that guy or that girl that uh, has been choppered in to help out with a certain element. Um, I remember when I was, I was working on Cobra, the whole team left when I was there. I'm, I must have smelt or something, but it, <laughs> there were some changes in the ranks and they all decided to reassign themselves to other projects because uh, the project wasn't doing too well and we had to get a whole bunch of contractors in. And I, thankfully we did because they were fantastic. If we didn't have them, I don't think the project would be where it is uh, or where, where it landed uh, in the end. Um, but this interesting research, insight and one more question around the future, if I may. Let's delve back in there. Um, R&D, I always find it interesting because I, you know, I worked for a lot of companies who almost operate like their software software companies. They will introduce their own systems and their own processes around those systems and some of them are bespoke. You know, I used to work for Jacobs Engineering and I had this really annoying habit of building things in-house and putting a J in front of it. I hated it. It was so cringeworthy, uh, you know, like J steps and J. I mean, I think they're smartening up now and going to industry because you can't keep up. Um, but I remind, I have to still remind global companies that we're not software companies. So why are we still trying to compete with the industry? One, that's my first point, and you can comment on that one. And two, how do you get, how do you keep up? How does a software company keep up with the latest trends, with the latest kind of uh, technology that's out there? Um, how do you keep the pace? Okay, so the first one, um, yeah, so it's a conversation I have on a regular basis. It's kind of like. Yeah. You can build your own software and inevitably it tends to be on Excel, which Val, we know drives you mad. Um, and it, it's, it's but it's the main, it's the same as when you then customize a piece of software. Somebody has to maintain that. And inevitably, whatever they've built is not a source tool on its own. It has to link with other tools. It's very rare that something is like built within a company and it never references any other solution out there, which means that as those tools progress, somebody then has to manage the technology of ensuring that the integrations kind of remain. And it's the, it's the same thing. It's like just you can spend all of these hours having an IT person maintain it. But let's face it, that IT person is an expert in the tool that is being used to do something they're not an expert in why that tool is doing that and what that tool then needs to do in the future to keep you as a business responding quick enough to you know the newest uh, reporting kind of fluctuations and so on and so forth so clients kind of very quickly kind of think yeah let us be accountable us being the software vendors we're accountable for making sure that if you need to connect to p6 that it's not just p6 it's microsoft projects and every other tool Aster power project that's out there in the market because you can never be sure what that client's going to tell you you need to connect to Mm. so not only are we responsible for that but we're also responsible for keeping an ear close to the ground on what people are doing Um, and we do that through like when dale read out my um my bio a lot of Deltex people's bios would read like that because we tend to sit on advisory boards. So there are people over in the US that sit on MOD kind of 
advisory things. So what we're doing is we're looking at what was EVAS, which is now Deccan, but before that was the DCMA's 14 point and they change and they grow. So we keep up to speed with what decisions are they making? And then we'll look at other industries and we will have our product marketing team that will be following and attending events and sitting down and listening. Um, and then, you know, both of you guys have worked at Dell Tech clients you may or may not have been involved in this, but we have in our support site the ability for you to feedback. You can put enhancements. And so when you start hearing enhancements coming from a number of different clients and they're using the same language, and that's the key thing, it's the same language that's being used, which means that they're either talking about it amongst themselves or the client is starting to talk about it and it's feeding down. So we'll start looking at that and saying, OK, we're starting to see a trend here. And then we have user groups. We have two massive conferences, one in the UK and one in the US. So Insight is our big one and it's virtual this year, which is great because 12 years I've never been to Insight. So this is my first time that I actually get to go and kind of like have a listen to all the stuff that people are saying. But there's like 3000 project professionals in one place and there are rooms and rooms and rooms of things that you can go to and there'll be a Dell Tech person there that will be listening to specific trends that are coming out and then it then gets fed through to the project um, our, our product management and project teams and then there'll be kind of sounding that out with clients that choose to be on our beta programs so if you're a cobra user for instance and you um, have been using it for a really long time you can sign up to be part of a beta testing which means that you're then included in um, things like oh well our roadmap may have an abc option and they'll start talking to you about that. And then they might say to you, will you run through um, a little trial of a B option for us and give us some feedback? So these are not like clients that have used Cobra for a year. These are like clients. Like I have a client that has used Cobra since the year I went to university. Um, so these are like pretty long standing clients. And, you know, we'll ask them you probably know our product as well as we do. What do you think? What are you hearing? So in order to keep fresh, you've got to have relationships. And a lot of those come from our team. So in the sales team and keeping in contact with clients. Um, you know, I don't go away. I'm always around. People can always find me. And if you want to have a whinge, have a whinge. But let's keep it constructive because ultimately we want to still be here to provide a future roadmap for you. And if our tools aren't relevant, then that's not going to happen. So if we don't adapt, you're kind of killing yourself, really. Uh, again, I'm yeah. not sure if that answers it, but. No, it does. It does. It does. I mean, I think, I, I think it's kind of, I mean, I've been to a Delta conference a long time ago, but it was great. Um, I do remember getting uh, really drunk though. I knew uh, you were going to say was... that. <laughs> and then there would have been a rock concert <laughs> somewhere. Cause inevitably there is always somebody. There was, there was some, there was some fancy dress up. I think we had to do. Um, I can't remember now. Uh, but yeah, it was, had, it was great. It was in had all sorts. It was weird. It was in Tasmania of all places. Hobart. Yeah. I know. Gosh. Right. That could have been uh, a welcome. Yeah. That might've been a welcome one rather than. It might've been. One. It might've been. I can't, I can't, it was a long time ago. Um, but they're, they're really good points. Um, I just want to leave with, uh, a point for the listeners probably around AI. We say AI and machine learning, and I'm, I'm conscious that when we do, we we say it in such a generalistic term. And there's something that I, I, I pinched from the internet, but it was really a really good way of talking about where we're going with that. And I, I think it's more around how we talk about machine learning and we incorporate that into our daily practice. Um, and I'm wondering if, if I read it out, you could probably agree or disagree with it. We can, we can go from there. But um, the first element was descriptive analytics. Uh, which uses data aggregation and data mining to provide insight into the past and answer what has happened. 
Okay. The second is predictive analytics, mm -hmm. which uses statistical models and forecasting techniques to understand the future and answer what could happen. Mm -hmm. And the third is prescriptive. This is like the utopia, right? Uh, prescriptive analytics, which uses optimization and simulation algorithms to advise on possible outcomes and answer what mm -hmm. should we do. I think that's, for me, that's the maturity roadmap for project controls. I don't think it's going to ever get any better than that. Does that kind of resonate with you as well, Anna? Yeah, because AI, I think of artificial intelligence and a, a little boy that never grew up looking for a blue fairy under the water. See, again, geeky. Um, but actually, <laughs> it's probably more like um, kind of analytical information. Basically, as you say, and acumen is a brilliant element of that because Fuse is going to look at what you've built and it's going to tell you historically that's you know you may have an issue here so it's going to tell you from the maturity that you've got too much of this you've got too much of that because you've told the product I don't want too much of this or too much of that and then you've got your risk piece in the middle that's going to help you to project what might happen so if that happens that's yeah. going to, to move out and then you've got the optimization piece which is that modeling piece that says um, should this happen here are your options what would you like to to do so again it never gives you the answer it's just presenting you with options so it's not going to say it's going to say yeah your schedule is an acumen score of 50 and it's still your choice as to what you're going to do and then with your risk register until it actually impacts you you, you just don't know so you're just guessing and with mm. the optimization again it's it's here are some possibilities based on the same analytical algorithms that pushed it one way. We're now using those to push it back, but you're still in kind of control. So yeah, that the, the analytical information, um, the response times for it. Um, and then also as it kind of, as one impacts on the other, like it's very, so you used to have schedule risk analysis and now it's schedule and cost risk analysis. And then there's going to be another piece of analysis that's going to come in. And then that's when you start getting yeah. this like big data and everybody needs to be a generalist so that they can all understand it. So eventually it'll probably be your project controls team. People are just going to be analysts. They're not going yeah. to be anything but analysts. Oh gosh, that's a really negative thing to finish up. I want to, I, I kind of, I hope it's, hope it's analyst and storyteller. I think there's an element of, um, this, this, I mean, going back to analog, like you said before, you know, we're going back to, we want to talk and we want to speak in pictures, but I also think the art of storytelling is coming back and presentation and people yeah. want to be on the journey. And, you know, like you said, hearts and, I mean, we've, we've touched on it as well, hearts and minds. It's another good point, right? You can't do that unless you, you bring people on the journey. How do you do that? You tell them a story, you bring mm -hmm. them in as part of the story. Analy analytics is probably one element of that. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate your insight. Thanks, Nat. That's, that's great. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree, Val. Um, it, it's not an easy question to answer either. So, so thanks no. for, for. Well, no, as yeah, you yeah. say, I don't have to answer it. I just have to give you an opinion. Exactly. I'm pretty good at opinions. So I'm not saying they're right, <laughs> and they're, but they're definitely mine. Well, you know what? The thing is that we hold your opinion in high regard because you, you certainly have the experience, um, and uh, certainly across the industry. Because, I mean, you know, I, I've been to obviously both Val and I've been to the expos, and you, you're always there in that and all these conferences. and you know, wandering around, chewing everybody's ear off. Well, yeah, that's pretty the much the thing it. is, you you 
you, you can't even walk a few meters before you bump into another person, you know, so everyone in the industry almost knows yeah. you. And so your opinion is not just another opinion. Your opinion is highly regarded on the show, at least. As, as a maybe my opinion is just an amalgamation of everybody else's opinion. Because <laughs> I've never been a, pra- a practitioner. <laughs> so basically, I've just listened to all you guys for 12 years, rolled it all up into a ball and then just called it my own. It's, so you just, it's, it's your interpretation, isn't it? Yeah. So it's, it's, a great, it's a great insight into the into the world of project controls and PMO. Yeah. Right. So, so you're just another analyst. <laughs> I am. I am. Just with the ability to add lots of analogies to things. There we go. So, yeah, we're doing a podcast, but my arms are flying around. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I just want to end off by asking you one really important question. Mm-hmm. How's the photography going? You wanted to be a photographer originally. Yeah, I did. And I've got three qualifications after a level on it. And I have a truckload of cameras, which I just cannot throw away. I've probably got like 20 cameras. Um, but I, st- I just use my phone and I, I have lots of phone apps and my phone is full of photographs of the kids and the dog. And we were at the beach today and I've got kind of like photographs and I still happily see things in a photographer's eye so I still kind of I'll line up like I'll take a step to the left because I've got a better like or else like you know if you sat in a restaurant if I've got a really crappy view I'll make my partner change seat with me <laughs> so I've got something better to look at um but yeah you know in the perfect world if I won the lottery you know what would you do and Back in the day, it used to be um, have a dark room because I was like an old school photographer. Like yeah. you used to come out in a dark room and your hands would smell of cat pee because that's what those developing things. So, you know, it, it, it was not a particularly social experience and nobody likes having their photos taken. But people nowadays are a little snap happy, I feel. So I don't know, maybe when I retire, I'll get back into it. Brilliant. Thanks. And uh, let's hope you Maybe let's hope you do win the lottery and get back into it because uh, you certainly have an eye for things from what I'm seeing. Um, but anyway, let me try and sum up. Um, and there's a lot to sum up um, on this pod. Um, and I, I'm probably going to have to go back and listen to it a couple of times just to to get all of it. But some of the things that stuck out for me, um, you spoke about, um, you know, we kind of asked you about why so many various tools rather than one big one. Um, and that stuck out for me because, Yes, whilst um, you want integration, you also want flexibility in your tool set that you're using. And I think that's an important aspect that people forget when, when they're just looking at, you know, the range of tool sets offered by, by a company. Um, and then the other one around trends was how, um, you know, as you say, um, the movement is towards schedule and risk and as a combination that coming together. Um, and, and certainly um, we, we've spoken before um, on, on a couple of pods around um, how our schedules are perhaps one dimensional. So that that's, um, was a very interesting insight. Um, but I want to thank you for your time as well. Um, and um, do you have any final words to leave us with? Uh, no, apart from good luck editing this, because we have been chatting for ages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we could go further. I mean, we could probably chat for a long time um, with you, Nat, and perhaps in the future we could get you back and you know uh, see how things have changed um but thank you very much uh for 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 this uh val any final words from yourself no it was it was lovely to me and thanks for being on the pod nat um you're a great sport obviously you know there's a negative connotation out there somewhat sometimes with with software vendors but i think if industry wants to get ahead particularly in the digital age they're going to have to partner they're going to have to feedback to software 
companies and I'm glad that you're on some of these advisory boards and that you help steer and understand where the industry is going because we, we obviously need software that works for us. So it makes sense for us to partner with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, thank, thanks, Nat. You know, as, as Val says, both Val and I have used uh, Daltech products. Uh, we think they're great um, and we thank you for your time on, on this pod. That's all we have time for on this episode. Uh, for more information, blogs, previous podcasts, check out projectchatterpodcast.com. A massive thank you to our guest, Natalie Moyes. Thanks as always to Val and thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive and have fun doing it. Bye for now. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company or individual.